Hello, space fans, and welcome to another episode of the Supercluster Podcast. I'm Jamie Carrero, here as usual with my colleague Robin C. Mangle. And on this episode, we are joined by a special guest, Brandon Katz, the senior entertainment reporter for The Observer, also co-host of the Post-Credit Podcast and uh, the Must Watch Podcast with Gene Bentley and Brandon Katz. Robin, I'll throw it over to you. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Uh, It's great to be back. Today's podcast is among my favorite type of podcast is when Jamie and I and of course my buddy Brandon can geek out about movies. We do love space, but we also very much love the cinema here at Supercluster. One of our parent companies was A24 Films, a boutique film studio known for winning a couple of Oscars and making a couple of great films. Uh, so we wanted to shout out one of our parent companies there when we do talk about movies. Brandon and I uh, used to uh, be colleagues at the, uh, back then it was called the New York Observer, and then it was called The Observer. But Brandon is one of my favorite voices in entertainment reporting. Uh, Brandon, you've written some incredible pieces lately, especially as the entertainment industry is starting to bounce back from COVID-19. So uh, welcome to the show again, and uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, man. I'm so excited to be back on. And listen, I I love movies, as you know, but I also love space. And when I was a kid, (laughs) I wanted to be an astronomer so bad. And then my teacher told me, you have to be good at math. And I gave that dream up immediately. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think we can all relate to some degree. (laughs) The first and foremost thing we wanted to talk about on the show today is movies in general. How are things looking? Uh, You wrote an article recently that was uh, pretty sobering, had a little bit of an analysis on the reality of theaters actually bouncing back and that cash flow bouncing back. And obviously, there's been some pretty big changes. The theatrical window is shorter. HBO Max has a couple of films simultaneously debuting on their streaming platform. And Disney Plus uh, and Disney in general is making a pretty big move with releasing Black Widow and theaters and on their streaming service. So give us a gist of what's going on with the movie industry right now. Yeah, so the gist is a little bit two-sided. And as I get into it, I just want to reinforce, I'm a a theater first guy. I love movie theaters. I want to return to theater movie theaters. So while the last few months, probably starting with Godzilla vs. Kong in late March, have been certainly promising from a box office recovery standpoint, You know, you you had GVK, you had Mortal Kombat, you have a couple smaller films popping up with, you know, $8 million openings and and whatnot. Right. We're still only at 60% of U.S. theaters open, almost all of which are operating at limited capacity, you know, 25 to 50%. And on top of that, despite the subtle wins we've had over the last few weeks, The box office year to date, as compared to 2020 when the pandemic struck, is still about 75% lower. So we are nowhere close to even a remote normal. So again, I'm happy this is happening. The momentum is going in the right direction. And I am someone who believes movie theaters will never go extinct. But, you know, AMC, the largest movie theater in the world, narrowly escaped bankruptcy in January with an emergency cash infusion of 900 million plus from investors. You know, we, right. we had the famous LA theaters, the, the Arclight and the Pacific close recently. You know, we've, we, had, sad. Yeah, we had Cinemark and, and, and we had Regal theaters in America. You know, I think uh, around 600 locations be closed for six months until opening up recently. So 
it is not, you know, we had a Malamo draft house go bankrupt. So it is not as if we are, you know, all signs ago, green lights across the board. We are still right. far away. And I think a quiet place too, May 28th and F9, I believe June 25th are the first kind of big movies to return. And from there, we have a log jam of major releases over the back half of 2021. And that's when we'll really see if a avalanche of new, fresh, major titles brings back the foot traffic that's needed to restore the box office. Yeah, I I happen to agree with you very passionately that the theater will never die. It's an experience that, you know, no matter how good the home theater experience gets, it's never going to be a 50 foot wide screen with speakers that are several thousand watts with a community of people seeing something for the first time. Sharing the experience. Yeah, there's just so much to that that can't be replicated. But what I am deeply concerned about that you kind of just highlighted is are any of the institutions that have gotten us to this point in the theater history going to last or are they all going to be sold to some, you know, are there going to be 10 new theater brands that buy up the remnants of this phase because that transition period already has been brutal as you described. And I'm not sure that it's going to pick up immediately because this has got to simultaneously occur with everyone suddenly feeling okay with sitting right next to a stranger. And I don't know what time scale that happens on. Yeah. I guess we do have to see theaters don't exist in a vacuum. We, we do kind of have to, you know, go along with the tide of the rest of society. And I guess at the end of the day, it is up to people to make that personal choice. I think, um, and, and I can only speak for the area that I live in. I currently live in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. Shout out to the Nova area. Sorry. I just, I, I went to school there at family. <laughs> nice. there. I, lo- I love that DMV area. Uh, yeah. It's a lovely area. I love living here. I used to live in uh, New York before the pandemic, but I want to say that I've been to the theaters. I have a movie theater right down the block from where I live, and I've been to the movie theater a couple times. I went to see Mortal Kombat. I went to see King Kong, and there were people in the theater. The seats were sold out for a couple of those showings, and I think I'm starting to see that vibe come back, at least in this area. You know, and I'm starting to see people, you know, coming into the theater, buying popcorn, buying drinks, sitting down. Uh, like I said, my two shows were were filled. I can't speak to the rest of the country. Now, Brandon, you are in the New York tri-state area. Theaters are not open there yet. So it's been on and off, you know, as you saw with New York City Governor Andrew Cuomo. I mean, sorry, New York State <laughs> Governor Andrew Cuomo. He opened up New York City in limited capacity back in April around right. there, you know, in the suburbs, where more so where I live. It's been kind of different pockets of openings. I have not personally been in a movie theater since probably early March 2020. But now that I am recently fully vaccinated, you know, as I was telling you before the show, me and one of my best friends, who's also a big cinephile, have made a bro date plan to re- our glorious return to movie theaters for A Quiet Place too. And I just couldn't Excellent. be more that excited sounds to so get that lovely no yeah, it sounds yeah. really great i and- had one my mm-hmm. one indulgence because i have been you know very on top of all my covid protocols i wear oh, a yeah, mask to be everywhere clear, i'm not judging anyone for for doing anything <laughs> oh no and, and, not, and no, neither am i i'm, I'm just i just want to you know th- this is the one time i i said okay i'm gonna ignore that for a moment because i really wanted to see tenet in imax right i really wanted to see that in its full glory and i have I- all kinds of criticisms that's probably a conversation for 
for another day. Yeah. But I will say that 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 was maybe six to eight months ago, whenever that movie came out. Right. And, you know, so we're a very different point. But at that point, I was in a full size IMAX theater Ooh. with three other people. And that was yeah. a unique experience. My, where everyone was, was wearing a mask. I mean, it was it was really a great experience, you know, aside from some script criticisms of the movie. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> I do like the idea of being alone in IMAX. I don't think I'll get to experience that again. But um, right. I'm happy that that's not the the way it's going because while i was there i was simultaneously enjoying it but also thinking man this is bleak this is an yeah. empty business that i really like like um, i love theaters and it was empty i also did see tenet and my girlfriend and i and a couple of our friends were in an empty movie theater here in virginia i felt bad while i felt good because i was like yes i'm in a theater i'm, I'm back yeah, you know the theater exactly. is my, the theater is my second home i i would do anything to be there and i did feel half great and half terrible that I wasn't experiencing that film with other people. And I realized that as much as I love movies, as much as I love going to the movie theater, I think the big part of it is experiencing a movie with other people. Oh, and, yeah, and anyone man. who doubts that listening at home, Robin and I tried to see the Irishman in theaters, but it was unfortunately sold out. He was the one really pushing for it. So this man is committed. Yeah. No, seriously. And it's Brendan, I am going to hold you to that mandate when I get back to New York and theaters are open and we're going to go see the next Scorsese movie that's out. I love oh, totally. It. And look, I won't I won't point any any specific fingers, but we all know that there are certain communities around New York where when you go to the movie theater, it's a lot louder and it's really great. The interaction yeah. oh, that yeah. happens yeah. is really great when you go to theaters in certain it's parts fun. of Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that, again, can't be replicated in your home is like no. 300 strangers laughing with you, you being shocked with you, screaming with you. <laughs> screaming. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a list of topics for here and I want to bring one up on the list because Brandon mentioned that uh, he's going to go see A Quiet Place too, and I, and I really feel like that's the next big release. And it just so happens, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but I'm, I'm a fanboy for universe building and backstory. Those creatures are aliens. Yes, yes. Okay. As, oh, as I didn't yes. know this. Yes. I mean, this makes a lot of sense. What else yeah. would they be? But this yeah. is actually the first time hearing of this is actually a fact. Yeah. So I've or been can, really, can, in fact, you know, yeah. So I've been like desperately awaiting the sequel. The first film is a really entertaining, really awesome piece by John. It's Krasinski. my, it's my favorite stupid movie. Honestly. I, yeah, I, I love that. So, yeah. yeah as, love, because as soon as you examine it, it all oh, falls yeah. apart. But when you're watching it, you're just like, oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Jim from the office. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I've learned to live with the plot holes and I'm okay with that. No, it's um, fine. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's actually a great example of how suspension of disbelief can work because oh, yeah. they sell it so well that you just feel caught up and it's not until afterwards that you think about the holes which is fine when you're watching the movie you're very caught up but but anyway please yeah. continue. <laughs> so so brandon i'm thinking with this film that we're going to be surprised and i think that seats are going to be filled as much as they can and there's going to be quite a, a bit of buzz around this film and i think it might get people back to the theaters in a relative fashion, where society is right now. And my question for you is, is your outlook good on that? Or how are you feeling about that? Yeah, domestically, absolutely. My outlook's good. I think it's going to top Godzilla vs. Kong's pandemic best three-day opening of $32.5 million. Now, overseas, we have major regions such as the UK, uh, different different parts of Europe, India, being hit really hard right now with COVID. Right. You know, America was kind of, unfortunately, the epicenter of how disastrous it could be for so long. And now we seem to be trending 
in the right direction, and the script has flipped overseas. Now, China, the second biggest market, uh, box office region in the world behind America, they've had it under control for months, so that could potentially be good, though they don't always you know, should turn out in mass numbers for. I'm always films. surprised about which movie is a hit over there. Yeah, because yeah. that was actually my next question: is something like uh, the Godzilla movie may have a more international appeal, right, than something Definitely. like a Quiet Place because it's mu- you know much more visual and you know it doesn't really need uh, delicate translation to come across. Traditionally speaking, when it comes to Hollywood exports into China, big CGI, you know, spectacle-driven films have done well. And I think right. A Quiet Place too is is certainly going to be a more restrained kind of philosophical horror thriller than a necessary, you know, wow, look at look at all these alien fights. I don't think right, it's right, right, right. Kind of it feels like a, a sort of less is more alien Jaws style yeah. franchise, well you know? Yeah, well you should, yeah. I'm I'm very excited for it, and I think, uh, like I said, I, I'm hoping it's a it's a. I think people are expecting it to be a hit, but I think it's going to be a hit in in the context of COVID as well. So, Brandon, I, I did hear there's some drama behind the scenes <laughs> about the paydays for this film. Um, that's something that always fascinates me because for Quiet Place, yeah, isn't so, it just like directed by a guy and starring his <laughs> wife? <laughs> that's what that's what the first movie was but apparently now that paramount has shortened the theatrical window and the profitability margin brandon are they asking for more money before the release is that is that what's going on so according to a recent bloomberg report john krasinski who wrote and directed the film and mm-hmm. emily blunt who stars in the film obviously mm-hmm. are negotiating and angling for an additional payment because of the shortened theatrical window. Now, traditionally, someone in their position, you know, someone who's kind of higher up on the Hollywood hierarchy and is, is and or is a central creative force in the film, like Krasinski is, will mm-hmm. get a cut of the box office receipts. Right. Now, because Paramount has shortened the theatrical window, it's going to go to Paramount Plus, you know, shortly after a month, I think 45 days in theaters. They are arguing that that is going to kneecap ticket sales and they should be given more upfront money. Uh Now, upfront money is important because as we see with Netflix, it hands out these gobsmacking totals to talent that make us all run and write these amazing sensationalist headlines about all the money Netflix is spending. But really what they're doing with those massive upfront totals is mm-hmm. buying out the back end of these deals exactly. because they don't. Right. There is no back end. No, there yeah, is exactly. no ticket sales. Right. Exactly. So, so when, yeah. when you when you compare like the twenty million plus that Dwayne Johnson's going to get for Red Notice mm-hmm. to the seventy five million plus that Robert Downey Jr. earned be, uh, from Avengers Endgame, you start to kind of see the balance of power for those true grand slam theatrical blockbusters. Now, exactly. Yeah, we do not know this. This is the big question. One of many big questions that the pandemic has raised is how these hybrid releases, these shortened theatrical windows, we don't know how that is ultimately going to affect box office long term. You know, when you do talk about these blockbuster movies, they do earn the majority of their money in the first two to four weeks. Now, that's not to say that after that, they're not still earning big chunks. They can be. But we're just talking about percentages and majorities and totals. We have no idea what the box office is going to look like. We have no idea if we're ever going to see a consistent run of $1 billion films ever again like we have over the last five years or so. So right. all of these yeah. are, are questions that we won't have answers to until several years from now. Any snap judgments made now 
probably going to make that person look stupid. Yeah, because yeah, it seems really it seems really logical, you know, the 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 Krasinski Emily Blunt position at at first glance. You're like, oh yeah, totally, because that's going to eliminate everything. But the point you make about the vast majority of that money being made in the first couple of you know, honestly, the first week usually for a big right. blockbuster, it kind of changes that discussion. So you have to wonder, okay, there's this initial spike and then the long tail of viewership, and you have to start doing some complex, honestly real calculus to figure out what that is and then at the same time you have to wonder okay from a real shrewd business perspective let's say that netflix or you know or whoever online platform puts out a big hit how much does it that actually drive subscribership and how much can you actually in your profit and loss like say that you can pay people to make that much money i feel like in some ways netflix probably hasn't figured that out yet but really are they making from this stuff they're just kind of investing to keep the platform going there is no easy direct translation and i mean you saw with warner brothers in a vacuum i think warner brothers made the right decision to say hey in 2021 we're going day and date on hbo max because they were goosing their shiny new expensive streaming service with exclusive blockbuster content to drive subscribers but because they didn't tell the talent involved or the collaborative uh, company partners involved, mm-hmm. they ended up having to pay out tens and tens and tens of million dollars to talent such as Gal Gadot and Denzel Washington and whatnot because of the exact thing that we're talking about. And they ended up having to spend over $200 million to reach a settlement with Legendary for Godzilla vs. Kong. So it cost them a lot to roll it out in the way that they did. And here I think... I don't necessarily think the Krasinski clan is unreasonable in trying to, you know, make a move. But I also understand where Paramount's coming from. They're they're yeah. under no legal obligation to give them more money. So it really comes down to how happy do we want to keep our creative talent? Right. Yeah. Like, do they want to make uh, a Quiet Place Five? Exactly. Then they might. <laughs> yeah. Well said, Jamie. It's a long term game, right here. Now, Brandon, some would say that if HBO or Warner had gone to the talent. The talent would have done everything in their power to prevent that same day release from happening. What do you think? I mean, I think that's certainly possible. I again, mm-hmm. I think money talks. I think they would have probably been able to reach agreements for compensation packages that were not as large as WB was ultimately forced to to mm-hmm. provide, given right. the way they handled it. But listen, we're, we're talking in a about a scenario of hypotheticals and what ifs. None of right. us have a crystal ball. All I know is that it's an unprecedented situation that we still find ourselves in, even as there's light at the end of the tunnel. And every studio that's at least trying to innovate and adapt, I, I commend. It's not all these strategies are going to work. We'll, we'll see how long you know, Universal's unique PVOD hybrid releases are going are, are gonna to work. But oh, true. everyone yeah. is trying something different. And that's commendable in the worst year for movies maybe since the last pandemic 100 years ago. <laughs> totally. I mean, it even you know it makes me think of Disney's model where they're like, hey, here's a movie. And even if you're a subscriber, it's this big extra money to see the movie. But if you wait, it'll just be on the subscription service. Like no one even Lots knows how that equation really works now. Now, let me make a quick confession here. When Mulan came out, that was for premium purchase on Disney+. Yeah. Plus. I set up my apartment like a movie theater. 
because that's just who I am. I love movies. Uh, you guys oh, know yeah. I, I came from Disney. I used to work at Disney. A couple I've screened years movies, back. by the way, for friends, where I'll put together trailers from the era of when the movie came out Dude, and then so play cool. them before. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. I, this is a. It's a, I really share that with Robin. It's it's a passion. Yeah, Jamie, that's uh, <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever heard. I know it's the first time we've ever digitally met, but you're the fucking man. Yeah, oh, Jamie, Jamie is a cinephile, man. Jamie's yeah. a, uh, Jamie and I waste a lot of time talking about movies when we should be doing space work. So let's put it that way. <laughs> I love it. I, I I very much enjoyed watching Mulan that way. I more than happy to pay the money for that experience. And then I had like a, a free screening. We worked with Netflix on a George Clooney's space movie. We did some. We worked with Felicity Jones on a, a video and stuff, and it was really great. And we, yeah, we got I, her to talk, talk to a real astronaut. Yeah, we we paired her with a real astronaut. It was really fun. That's great. I screened that at home in the same way. I'm sorry, George, and I'm sorry to Netflix. I, I didn't like the movie. Uh, oh, don't get <laughs> and then, me and then, yeah, and then <laughs> I realized, you know what? At the end, as much as I love the experience of watching movies, I like watching good movies <laughs> over bad ones. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for uh, George Clooney. I'm seeing through because from what I hear, that movie was a big vision for him, and it did get an Oscar nom, which is cool. And I did appreciate some parts of the movie, and I am a big fan of the actors who are in the movie. And I'm glad they were willing to work with Supercluster. That was really fun. But I'm never not gonna I'm never gonna be dishonest about my feeling on a movie, and I did not. Oh like yeah, it. <laughs> and, and that, I think that's, no. I mean, I think we, you know all of us here can appreciate that. Like the practice of art is important regardless of whether we like right. the output like of we're course. Always, yeah. like i want george Clooney to make 100 more movies and yes. even if they're all good or they're all bad i want him to do that one thing that that i do want to bring up here that i think is kind of positive about this theatrical problem that we're in right now uh, and before i think we got to move on to some other fun stuff to talk about but it's just the idea that theaters have started renting themselves out the idea that movie theaters are becoming a little bit more of event spaces that you and your friends can pay x amount of dollars mm -hmm. and you know as robin you were saying like watch an old good movie that you know right. is great in a theater setting that's something i really hope continues is this flexibility of what your local multiplex can be in your life because that's you know i haven't had the opportunity to do that but several of my friends around you know around the country i see them on on uh, social media have rented out theaters you know for 100 bucks 200 bucks with a couple of their friends watched a movie they all love brought you know bought their own food or brought their own food whatever <laughs> that's really great and i hope that continues yeah i agree with that now brandon i want to segue into some more fun topics but i'm going to do it in a very morbid way <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to ask you are we years away from seeing the next billion dollar movie you know, I think in 2021, the movie that has the best chance is Spider-Man No Way Home, though I okay. don't necessarily think it's going to get there. It might. It very well might. But, you know, we're, like as we're seeing in overseas markets, it's still really tough. But I, right. I do think it can still happen. I think there's a large handful of 2022 films that have the potential to do so. But it is not going to be as easy as it was before. You know, let's look back just a decade, roughly. You got mm -hmm. Alice in Wonderland, which kind of was the first mainstream blockbuster to spearhead that 3D technology. And that wrote a very simple, probably crappy script, <laughs> with all due respect. <laughs> and, and it wrote the kind of effects and the, no the novelty of it to a billion. In that time frame, we kind of went full franchise mode where there were rarely ever new to screen mega bucks series. Uh, and it was more so, okay, and let's repackage familiar concepts. And a ton of those managed to hit a billion. Right. Now, 
after, you know, about 50 million, about 50 movies have done roughly a billion worldwide. And, you know, before that, it was like Dark Knight, Titanic, and like one other film that had ever done it. It was Uh, a handful of films, right? Yeah, moving forward, I think to hit a billion, every single thing that can go right needs to go right. You need to fire on all possible cylinders, domestic grosses, international grosses, huge bump from China, uh, you know, theaters at full capacity, vaccinations worldwide above 50%. You're going to need a lot to go right. Does that mean it's impossible? Absolutely not. Do I think it's going to happen again? Absolutely. But yeah, I don't know if we're going to see one soon. Yeah. I think it's also going to come from the type of buildup that we've seen with the Marvel franchises or Star Wars or something where there's a lot of juice towards that film from other films to get it to that point. Yeah. Now, let's talk about franchises. I want to, you know, obviously there's the, the the cinema, but popular culture and entertainment has made a huge shift to streaming, like we discussed. One standout thing this past year and a half was The Mandalorian Season 2. I think that, yes, it wasn't in theaters. I think it was a big, pretty big popular cultural moment for cinema. And Brandon, we have a couple of... They're spinning off Boba Fett, correct? Yeah. Um, The Book of of Boba Boba Fett. And they're also doing season three of Mandalorian, right? Correct. Among a million other projects. That's amazing. So I haven't watched. There's a new show, an animated show called The Bad Batch. And I am going to make a lot of my friends mad right now. But I don't. I haven't watched Clone Wars and like (laughs) the Star Wars animated shows. I plan to get to them at some point, maybe when I have kids. I love the movies. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Have you seen the new animated show, Brandon? And what's your outlook on this? Because I asked you the last time you were on what the outlook for Star Wars was. And we we and you got into a fight about it. Um, (laughs) I want to know, after season two of Mandalorian and all the new stuff that's greenlit, what's your outlook on the Star Wars franchise? So I have seen The Bad Batch and it's, it's rock solid. You know, I think it's enjoyable. For me personally, I actually spoke at length about this in a recent episode of Postcred Pod. I-, I think I see Star Wars franchise building divided into two categories, and that is your pragmatic and your mythological. So for yeah. pragmatic, you you have more so your boots on the ground, soldiers. You know, you, you're, you're talking about Rogue One. You're talking about the Bad Batch here. You're talking mm. about uh, elements of the Clone Wars. You're talking about elements of the prequels. And your mythological, I think you're more so talking about the Jedi, the Force, uh, you know, the history of that conflict between them and the Sith. You're talking about more of the universal cosmic elements. And okay. I think that's, you know, original trilogy, sequel trilogy, elements of Clone Wars, and definitely a lot of Rebels. One is not better than the other. But for me personally, as a Star Wars fan, the coolest thing to me, the thing that I've always loved since I was four years old, is the Jedi, is the Sith, is right. the Force, the history behind that, how, how it interweaves throughout the universe to form a power that we really can't comprehend. So for me, the Bad Batch isn't exactly right up my alley. If you're mm. someone who likes that kind of boots on the ground, these are soldiers, they're smaller stakes, right. then I'll go for it. Now, like to a answer, human level story. Exactly, yes. It's, yeah. it's a little bit more grounded, a little bit more, I, it's funny to say realistic with Star Wars, but yeah, realistic. You know, They're not dealing with the fate of the universe. Right. They're like, oh God, we got to stop this bomb and get out of this heist or something. You know what I mean? I love those stories. Yeah, I, there's, I think, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Rogue One is fire, by the way. 
Rogue Run's, yeah. Rogue One's the best <laughs> Disney Star Wars yes. movie. Agree yeah. with that. It's like it's it's again, it's you know, it's funny. I'm gonna make the same kind of comment, but it's like a great bad movie, you know, like I was saying about, about <laughs> a quiet place. It's wonderful. And then you think about like, wait, wait a minute, why are they? And then it's like, shut up. <laughs> but Just it's Star Wars. Movie. Yeah, it's Star yeah. Wars. You can't. It's Star Wars on a tropical beach, and Star Wars on a tropical beach <laughs> is gonna stick in my mind forever. The one thing I do want to say here, though, and this is kind of off the topic, but for me, The Bad Batch will always be a movie about desert cannibals starring Jason Momoa and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and also had Jim Carrey and Diego Luna and Giovanni yeah. Ribisi. It was released, I forget how many years ago, but when they That's came hysterical. out with the, with the Star. Star Wars Bad Batch, I was just like, wait a minute, isn't that that crazy movie? About- <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I guess that's just the way that, you know, copyright and things go, but whatever. <laughs> to, to answer your larger larger question, Robin, mm. just long story short, they have 10 upcoming new series coming to Disney+. Plus. Oh, my we know goodness. Pat, we know Patty Ooh. Jenkins has Rogue Squadron coming in 2023. That's right. The, that's the right. next Star Wars movie is believed to be Taika Waititi's, who is, you know, he is Disney's golden boy right yeah. now. So he can do no wrong, guys. He's, he's like the that. only director that they give freedom to, right? Yeah, they yeah, like do one, his thing. He yeah. has like a lot of freedom, from what I understand. Yeah, and and you know, he to me personally has reached that kind of Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, Jordan Peele status yeah. in the terms of I'll watch anything he does. Doesn't matter Same. what it is. That, that's a perfect comparison yeah. because it's he's so unique. Auteur. It's so specific, and you're just like, don't interfere. Just yeah. let him do what he does. Um, and did you guys watch his? Die. Yeah. His television show um, with the vampires in Staten Island. Oh, what yeah. That's oh my, my, first ex- my first exposure to him. I didn't even know who he was. I was a fan of that show for years. And then years later, when I learned who he was from starting to direct, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, he made what we do in the shadows. I That's love amazing. that show. Yeah. Oh, my God. When when Wesley Snipes cameos his blade, I, <laughs> I died on the floor. Oh, it's perfection. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the film is good. And no, he's he's really great. And it's one of the things that gives me hope for that Dis- that whole Disney story structure because you hear so much about how they can be oppressive and sort of limit the the decisions that people make you know some direct i feel like it's you know sometimes it comes down to the director too you know Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. um how much control the disney wants to exert on that director um and how much risk they say they're gonna take how much um they can make the company nervous which may not be necessary you know totally i'm very much looking forward to taika watiti star wars uh, and brandon thank you for bringing that up i completely there's so much star wars news that you forget some from what i heard and this could be completely wrong but kevin feige the master of the marvel universe who oversees the mcu he is somehow gonna oversee a future Star Wars film. Yeah, he is producing a Star Wars film, That's which is another you know feather in the cap in terms of you. You ask right. what the overall outlook is. I think based on what they're doing, the versatility of what they're doing, and the combination of exciting small screen and big screen projects, I think the outlook is good. And you you, you throw a Kevin Feige produced Star Wars movie, of which tightly under wraps, no details whatsoever. Apparently, right. meeting with writers. But you just throw that into a, a lot of other things that get you excited. And the outlook looks pretty good. Of course, of the, let's say, 15 projects that are in development from Lucasfilm in the Star Wars universe, you know, let's, half of them might, might not be great. But the other half could be so good that it's we are unified true. once again. Oh, right. yeah. And I think, you know, you got to remember that 
Disney owns Marvel. So Disney, uh, I don't mean this in a cynical way, but Disney owns Feige, like they employ him. Right. And he is the master of treating feature films as long stretch TV series. Yep. Yes. And it just, it just is wonderful. Such a good point. Yeah. That's not a criticism yeah. at yeah, all. No, that's it's a great just, point. Yeah. It's just like the Marvel universe has been the greatest TV show I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's just, that's such a great way of putting it, Jamie. Level, yeah. Yeah. And that's what Star Wars really feels like it needs is just a wonderful understanding of of episodism i have to agree when it's when it's not planned in advance like the new disney trilogy it feels disjointed to me when what i don't know and that's a whole other conversation we can get into <laughs> and we won't because we tried to avoid this last time but we couldn't but brandon i wanted to shout out the book of boba fett because they brought back the actor who played Django from Attack of the Clones, and he was in Mandalorian. Such a great presence. He's such a great actor, and I, I really love that. He's the man. Yes, so oh, yeah. such a great yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. Super talented guy. So he's going to be leading the show. Obviously, I heard that the Mando himself is going to be making a cameo, and the one of the leads in the show will be Ming Na from uh, Mandalorian. And uh, oh, friend, yeah. friend of Supercluster. Right, as well. we just had yeah. her. Uh, awesome. We had such yeah. We just taped a video with her, and it was so great and so fun. And she's such yeah. a great presence. Yet to be released. Yet you'll, to be released. Everybody, uh, we can't <laughs> wait for everyone to see that. We're probably going to time it uh, a little bit closer to Book of Boba Fett. So yeah, that's great. Um, so I think Star Wars is you know looking up, coming up. So Brandon, one topic you and I wanted to discuss on this show was Dune. Yes. Um, and Jamie, I know you're a big Dune fan. It's oh, directed man. by It's like too much to talk about. <laughs> I know. And we won't get we'll get into the business part of the movie and being released and and, and the the new cast, new director. So here's what I know. I've seen some footage of it. Josh Brolin's in it. Um Oscar Isaac's in it. And the director, I can never say his last name, but he directed Arrival, Prisoners, and Sicario, uh, Sicario which is one of my favorite films. Yeah, right. So this director, yeah, uh, he's an auteur. Villeneuve, I think, right? Denis yeah, Villeneuve. Villeneuve. That's yes. my best appropriation of it. So Brandon, how's this movie shaping up? I mean, from a critical standpoint, this has been one of my most anticipated films for a long time. We just mentioned directors who, who will see anything they do. Denis uh-huh. Villeneuve, and I'm probably butchering it, is definitely in that for me. I mean, I think Same. Blade Runner 2049 yeah. is a masterpiece. I think Arrival right. is just so good at tugging on your heartstrings. I think Sicario yeah. and Prisoners are, are incredible. This is a I great agree. filmmaker. And, and I, have, I have both positive and negatives about all those films, but I completely agree. I will see anything he makes because they're the type of criticisms that are like engaging and interesting, right. you know? Yeah. It's Absolutely. not good or bad. It's should he have done this or not. You and know? I also just think this is a zoomed out kind of philosophical point. I I always think there's more value in someone basically breaking down and critiquing something they love rather than me being the two millionth person to say i don't like the star wars prequels you right, know like right. okay exactly well, what, what do we get out yeah. from that right no well, yeah, constructive like criticism my, is better yes yeah my discussions of arrival ever since i've seen it and rewatched it have always been about what's great about it and what's not great about it but that's what you would want you know like right. there are great things about it which as you're you're making the point brandon that makes it worthy of discussion otherwise what are we saying? Like, yeah, trash is trash. You don't need me to say that. <laughs> exactly. So, Jamie, before I ask Brandon here about the release and stuff, the original film, is it any good? Because I've watched it. I have different ideas on it, but I'm one of the people who didn't read the book. So what's you guys' take on the original film? And what do you think, you know, this new film is going to bring in terms of the inter- an interpretation of the book? 
Well, I'm, I'll just make a brief statement here that like any translation of that book and well, and it is a series and necessarily you might bring in some of the more series, it's going to suffer from just runtime. Like right. how the heck do you put in that much content into 90 minutes, two hours, even three hours? And, you know, I, I have a certain affection for the original movie because of the era it was made in and the, the sort of practical effects and the style of filmmaking. But I am hoping that the new film could bring a little bit more of the lore and make it feel bigger. Like a um, universe building. Yeah, thing. But, yeah. But Brandon, I, please, what do you think? Um, you know, confession time. I've never actually seen the original film from wow, David Lynch. Okay. I, I know it's an infamous creation. I know it's mm-hmm. a notorious box office bomb. Right. But, uh, you know, so, Pleasantly bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very bizarre film. Very I, bizarre film. I mean, like, you know, one day I will go back because it's, hey, you want to spend an hour and a half watching some David Lynch, you know, sci-fi? <laughs> like, sure, sure, of course. But I have not seen it. You know, for this upcoming one, to your point, Jamie, the plan as of, you know, right now and, and has been for a couple of years, we'll see if the box office supports that plan, is for Villeneuve to do a two-film series. Right. Ah, yeah, cool. But, well, you know, that'll depend on the, the reception. And yeah. now, so, Brandon, this is one of the films, and correct me if I'm wrong, that is going to be simultaneously premiered on streaming on HBO Max? It's still up in the air. So, you know, uh, Warner Brothers okay. certainly wants to do a hybrid HBO Max and theatrical release. They're still in negotiations with Legendary. And again, I bring right. it back to this other point. They ended up having to pay like $200 million plus to Legendary. To be able to release Godzilla vs. Kong day and day. Wow. I did not know that. We will see what happens, you know, with with this situation. No matter what I'm seeing Dune in a big screen. That's that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, it it is really interesting because there was that situation with Blade Runner 2049 where it was like this beautiful visual masterpiece and really intellectually stimulating and didn't make that much money. It, it did, you know, and I, I, I've heard the director talk about the reception and, and, you know, his, his mood just changes when he talks about it. No one could really figure out why that movie didn't do so great. And I I don't know, maybe, you know, there, there's that balance between art and entertainment. And I'm wondering if that Blade Runner sequel leaned towards art. And it yeah, didn't have and, a wide appeal, you know? Yeah. And also the idea of like something can be so strongly represented in the fandom space by a really passionate cult following that might overrepresent the breadth of something's popularity. Like maybe Blade Runner and, and any Blade Runner lore was like super loved by a small group of people and just not that broad. It happens. And uh, I, I, the film is beautiful and I really love it. And it's unfortunate that more people didn't see it, especially <laughs> Definitely in Definitely something to see on the big screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Biggest screen possible. D- Denis Villeneuve described it as the most expensive art house film ever made. Right. <laughs> that's uh, that's I mean, how it was received. There is, I will say there is something wonderful about like, you know, screw capitalism and whether something made money. The fact that he got that movie made is pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, and that then it won Roger Deakins his first Oscar, deservingly so. Right. After like 10 nominations. Surprising. I know. I know but, yeah. Yeah. Why did it take so long? That's yeah. a class, should, That's a Leonardo DiCaprio style. <laughs> no, no one ever yeah. wins for the movie they're supposed they that we well, want them like to Scorsese win for. It's like Scorsese too. Like, yeah, sure, you gave it to him, but that's not the best movie for, he's ever the made. Departed, I know. <laughs> 
I, I will say this, though. I love The Departed. And go back and look at the contenders that year. It was a weak year of movies. So I, I, I stand by The Departed winning that year. And then, of course, Scorsese should have won it for Best Director. For Good Let's be oh, honest. yeah, all kinds of stuff. I will tell you this. It was, it was a funny time in my life because while The Departed was filming in Boston, this was very early in my career, I was working on a film set on a much smaller film in Boston. And it was funny. There was this joke on set of everything we needed was already rented by Departed. So we'd be like, oh, we need this prop. We need this car. And they're like, no, the Departed has it. And so we couldn't get any talent, any mm-hmm. anybody, because yeah. you know this is like a $3 million movie, very small. Yeah. But I have a funny affection for that movie because it screwed this other movie. I was like the art department <laughs> PA on. That's funny. All right. Well, I'm looking at more, uh, our list of upcoming movies that we're allowed to talk about on our space podcast. Um, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, a, a prolific writer on oh, yeah. a bunch of subjects, including race relations in America. Between the World and Me, for all our listeners, right. if you haven't picked up any Ta-Nehisi Coates, read Between the World and Me and you'll get a sense of, of how brilliant this guy is. Right. Uh, he's also written a pretty cool run of Black Panther, uh, which I'm a big and fan Captain of. And Captain America. And Captain America. I am now currently watching the uh, Black Panther that BET produced, and a lot of it's based on his writing, and it's really great. Shout out to that. Um, I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> but um, he has now been tapped to write a new Superman film. J.J. Abrams is exec producing. I think J.J. was hired for this task to sort of refocus some of the DC superheroes a few years back after they've had massive failures with their projects. I think that DC... um, Robin, they're still directorless, right, for this project? Yes, and I'll get into that because that's breaking news, too, from the last couple of days. Um, I'm sure Uh. Brandon's heard about it. (laughs) Yeah. People are talking about this film, uh, bringing on Coates sort of pointed in the direction that we might be seeing the first black Superman on screen, which will be amazing. And I'm also going to shout out real quick that Steel, Shaquille O'Neal's superhero movie from the early 90s (laughs) was actually based on a Superman character. It just wasn't used for the movie. Just needed ah, to get that out of my yeah. system real quick. Oh <laughs> my God. All right. Well, yeah, yeah, in yeah. my heart, then, in my yeah, heart yeah. from now on, Robin. But, yeah. but no Jack, one needs to go watch that one because it was. Sad. No, don't, don't watch it. It's really, really bad. Um, I know, but, but Robin, you just put in my heart that no matter what happens next, Shaq is the true black Superman. He was the first black Superman on screen for in a, in a major motion picture. Anyway, oh, guy. Um, so there's a director search on right now. Like I said, JJ won't be directing early. Uh, Coates is writing the screenplay. And they are searching for a director right now. And they have interviewed all black directors. My favorite being Shaka Khan, who directed Judas and the Black Messiah. I thought oh, that yeah, movie was incredible. Go. I know. Let's yeah. go. Also, Regina King, who uh, was a producer and starred in Watchmen, which I think was an incredible superhero take for HBO. So I would love to. Those are my top two favorite directors for this role. There are other directors being talked about. What's funny about this is that Marvel is also pursuing these directors, the same shortlist, to direct their version, or I'm sorry, the MCU version of Blade, which, hey, these are all great problems. Blade Blade is coming back. (laughs) Yes, they're bringing Blade back, and uh, Mahershala Ali is playing Blade, which is going to be amazing. I like that. That's cool. So, Brandon... I just said a million things. I want your take on all one million of those things that I just okay, said. Okay, then with respect, it's Shaka King, not Shaka Khan, who, who is a famous musician. Okay, I'm that, gonna... that would be cool, though. I would love to see oh, that yeah, as well. By the way, 
thank thank you, Brandon, because for a moment I was pretty confused about what was going on. <laughs> I am gonna get in so much trouble for that, but no, I am gonna apologize. Fine. And I did listen to Shaka Khan recently. Yeah. That, yeah, uh, it's it's awesome. The other thing I, I do want to point out is that Robin mentioned uh, Regina King as a director, but she is also a fantastic actress who has oh my been God, amazing. in so many yeah. movies that you love, yeah. including like Boys in the Hood oh, and yes. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. And, oh yeah, totally. She's she phenomenal. was also in Any of the State, which is a favorite of oh, mine. Oh yes, but, I yeah, love yeah. that film. Yeah. So she is one of those people who has has moved between movies and television and mm-hmm. directing and and uh, and she's anyway. been recognized recently for One Night in Miami, which is a exactly. very gr- incredible film. And I was a little yeah. disappointed that she didn't get more recognition from the Academy and a certain other. Oh yeah, groups. yeah. Anyway, I'm a Regina King stan, yes. so I just wanted oh, yeah. to throw that out there. She's great. Absolutely. But Jerry Maguire, though, if you haven't seen it. That's her. Uh, that's my uh-huh. favorite Regina King oh, yeah. performance. But also, I loved her as the cop in uh, Watchmen. That was such a really great take on. I'm a big Watchmen fan. Oh yeah, I've loved that series as a sequel to Alan Moore's comic, and I thought she was perfect in it. Can't go wrong with Regina King. She is yeah. an unbelievable talent, actress, and now director. You know, loved her in Watchmen. The you know the the leftovers also for recent small oh, screen work, amazing. American yeah. Press. Yeah, yeah. She she's done a ton of great stuff. Of the shortlist of directors, which off the top of my head, I believe was Barry Jenkins, Ryan Coogler, J.D. Dillard, Stephen Capel Jr., Regina King, and Shaka King. Of those six, I I actually wrote for Observer a piece where I went back and looked at some of their cinematic track records to kind of find how their skills and preferences and, and, and the ways they went about filming would translate or connect to a Superman property. Mm-hmm. Uh, my vote, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them, is Barry Jenkins, who made okay. Moonlight, who made If Beale Street Can Talk, and Amazon. Well, we are we happy to be uh, Barry Jenkins stands here for yeah. many reasons, but yeah, I, he's I an extraordinarily talented director. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's especially the A24 connection that mm-hmm. we have as a company. But I will say this. When I think about Superman, the things that come to mind that are really interesting are not about being a superhero. It's about identity. Immigrant story. Exactly. It's about the role of society. You know, I know that a lot of the DC universe films have not gone well, but Mm -hmm. every scene when Superman shows up in a courtroom is actually a huge opportunity for great storytelling. So I like the idea of someone like Barry Jenkins, who's super character focused and right. about intimacy and subtlety and all that, that could be a beautiful Superman film that when I think about it may not make that much money, but may end up being like the best drama of the year. You know, it's like, right. what if Superman yeah. fought very little crime and we just examined what I it mean, is to guys, be those are the a best sort of omnipowerful alien in society. I, I those are think- the best part of those movies in my part. When we explore their human side, like I growing older, I like could care less for the action. I kind of want to see the human side of these characters a little bit more. And I, I really think that's where the current DC universe has left a lot of us unfulfilled. Very yeah, the action is-, is predetermined. The human side is undetermined. Right. <laughs> I think that's well said. I, I think Barry Jenkins is a, is a filmmaker who is intensely empathetic and considerate of the interiority of his main characters. And he is someone who has, totally. been, has proven that he is able to boil down someone's life into the most key defining moments of that journey and then carry over the emotionality of those moments to the rest of that person's journey. It informs who they are and molds who they become. And I think taking those skills to a Superman movie 
is the most enticing thing I've heard. And and kind of to round up what you both are saying, I have often said on Twitter, if you combine the character work and angles of Superman Returns with the action of Man of Steel, you have the best superhero movie ever, in my opinion. Totally, yeah. Now, perfect segue, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon, you recently hosted Zack Snyder on the, uh, the it was the post-credit podcast, correct? Yes, correct. Now, as a cinephile myself, I love Zack Snyder. And I am one of those folks, I think, a very unpopular opinion. I do not like recuts of movies. And, and I think there's a million reasons for that, but I think the original Star Wars is probably why it traumatized me a little bit. I mean, that's a rather unique situation. But right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And in different cases, it works because funny enough, I enjoyed the new Godfather cut. I thought it was really great. The Godfather part three. Well, Coppola recut it himself. I mean, if I can interrupt here just for a yeah. moment, it's I mean, you kind of identified it right there. There's a difference between like a director who's bad at editing and someone steps in and corrects the editing like right. Star Wars, whereas there's a film where the studio has some kind of criticism and the director wanted something else and the director right. corrects it. You know, so I think that there's these two different worlds of director's cut where one is really ridiculous, but one is actually the correct cut. In a, I think in a you're right. And I think one example of that is the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 Definitely um, might fall under that category. It's such a better movie. It, yeah, it's I mean, my definitive. So. Yeah, it's it's such a better film in almost every way. So, Jamie, good point. And there are clear examples of that. But anyway, getting to the point, I love telling the backstory. Zack Snyder's first big film was Dawn of the Dead, and he's about to release. And Brandon, it seems like you didn't like the movie that much. <clears throat> I, I gave it a, a C plus in, in my okay. kind of tweet length review. There's what's the, what's like. the name of the film, Brandon? Army, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. Okay, so it's not a sequel to the Dawn of the Dead with Ving Rhames, it's right? It's original IP, completely original, disconnected. Completely, it's, okay. it's launching its own Netflix franchise with a live-action spinoff already completed and okay. a animated prequel series in development. Okay, so separately, Zack Snyder directed the original, um, not the original, it was a remake of a George Romero Dawn of the Dead, and it was actually written by James Gunn, and it was such a perfect little zombie movie I love it. Um, Very I still, we'll go back. Movie. Yeah. Still yeah, go back and watch it all the time. Uh, Robin, I'm going to interrupt you right here mm. just to say that, like, I happen to be specifically a student of zombie film and that, you know, not to get into my own background, but I actually transferred from engineering school to art school to study film. And one of my final classes, what I did is create a curriculum of zombie film studies of all the films you have to watch to really treat that as a serious genre. And the Dawn of the Dead remake is one of the best it's modern so versions yeah. of a zombie film. But, really good um, movie. You know, th- Such a good yeah, film. There's a lot of commentary that kind of got left out, but a lot that got left in. But I will say that when I heard that Snyder was going to make another zombie movie, I am very excited. Although now that I hear that you've seen it and you weren't so I, thrilled. Listen, different strokes for different <laughs> folks, my man. That's, that's the thing I love most about entertainment. You know, people on Twitter yeah. are like, you're an idiot. I loved or hated this. <laughs> I'm like, well, that makes sense because we are two different people with two different opinions and two different backgrounds that would inform those opinions. I don't expect Oh my God, you. not everyone likes to eat fish. Are you guys What's telling going me, on? Are you guys telling me that art is subjective? Oh, come <laughs> on. No, it's but, definitely uh, not. Anyone yeah. who doesn't like what I like is an idiot. All right. <laughs> so Brandon, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know if it's out yet. I'm going to check, but. No, uh, it, I'm gonna it's w- theaters, Cinemark theaters for one week starting May 14th. 
then it hits Netflix May 21. Okay. I'm okay, going to so watch you, it. You've seen it, though. Like, can you give me give me your non-spoiler take? I'm listening. Yeah, so my, my non-spoiler take is that I guess I was expecting this kind of non-stop, rah-rah, gonzo action comedy. And mm-hmm. it's not that. So not meeting my personal expectations going in is not a criticism, but it, it certainly shifted my view. And then within that, you are blending the heist and zombie genres mm-hmm. with this movie. And I personally think he didn't add anything really new to either section, despite how interesting uh, of a blend okay. that is. And then on top of that, you kind of have maybe just one set piece that was particularly inventive and everything else feels cobbled together from familiar known elements. And then I think without getting into spoilers, what was once kind of a groundbreaking fresh ending here is repackaged into something that feels old hat. So altogether, uh, you know, I, I wasn't overly impressed, certainly fun and, ent- and entertaining in stretches. I think it's supremely well cast, but I, I, I was left wanting a little bit more, unfortunately, because I was going into this riding sky high expectations. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I hear that. I'm definitely going to see it anyway. But this continues my personal goal as a filmmaker of making a truly great zombie movie that that fires on all I cylinders. Think that, I think the genre is everlasting and there can always yep. be something new added to it. Yeah, <laughs> I will I wanna, be first in line to buy a ticket, my man. Guaranteed. Excellent. Yeah, I want to I want to live out the 28 days later spirit of something that can be both good and zombie. Maybe Jamie makes 28 months later. I mean, that's it. been in that's oh, been yeah, in right? yeah. like <laughs> I gotta go make friends with Danny Boyle. <laughs> that's been in uh it's been cooking for a while, I'm sure. I, I so, would yeah. say this about Army of the Dead. It, it's so because it's such a weird divergent feeling. It is at once both entertainingly over the top, as we saw in the trailer. There's a zombie tiger, which is great, and mm-hmm. annoyingly so over the top, because there are elements right. where whatever you want to call it, suspension of d- disbelief realism pure just sheer entertainment i'm like well that is just so ridiculous that i'm out of the moment That's yeah a, I, can't, I can't wait to see it but brandon the yeah. reason i brought this up was what's your take on zach and how awesome was it to just chat with him um you know I, i'm not the biggest zach snyder fan in the world i'm also not a zach snyder hater you know i love dawn mm-hmm. of the dead i think 300 was super entertaining for the time there's mm-hmm. elements of his watchman i like and there's elements i don't Man of Steel, I'm I'm like, you know, I think that's like a B plus movie, though it has some flaws. And then I'm very down on, you know, overall Batman v Superman. And, you know, the Snyder cut is, is fine. It's, it's, you know, it's fine. It's- Just for the record, I am a Alan Moore like purist. So I hated the, his Watchmen. Yeah, I, I, listen, the thing, <laughs> the thing that I don't like about it is that I think he completely celebrates the entire point that Alan Moore was skewering. Right, right. He yes. very much celebrated it. Very much. Yeah, and then, um, but there was element yeah. like, so for me, for me, Snyder is a guy who I think is a, is a very talented visual filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, and his, to me, again, I'm not trying to say anyone is wrong for liking him, but I, I don't like his script and, and sense of storytelling. I agree with that. I 100% yeah, agree Yeah, there are certain that. filmmakers that I really feel need to tell other people's stories. I, I mean, this honestly includes Spielberg. Like, I yeah. don't think that, uh, you know, Spielberg has hardly ever originated something from his own circle that went well. But when he tells other people's stories, it goes very Such well. Such a good, yeah. 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 And I think that that's who Snyder is. It's like you said, he's brilliant visually. I mean, you look at you, uh, Dawn of the Dead. 
regardless of whether you like zombie movies, has wonderful filmmaking in it's it. It's great. It's really great. Some great um, shots. Yeah. And you can tell that Zack Snyder, I mean, I forget exactly what his early career was, but he started, I think, in like like commercials. Like, like music videos. Commercials, yeah. commercials and music videos. Yeah. Things that were really kind of high-end uh, visually. And there's something wonderful about that. But yeah, maybe it's like that empathy level needs somebody else to write the story. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be a hater in any way. I'm just trying to break down what the pros and cons, which is what no. we, we said. There's more value in, in, in kind of deep diving something that is so commercially present than us, again, telling you trash is trash. So, it, but it was really cool to talk to him on the podcast. It was really cool to hear his filmmaking approach to Army of the Dead and how working at Netflix on a kind of world-building blockbuster was different than making like a Justice League or a typical superhero tentpole. And then oh, we got cool. into some some interesting Man of Steel bits and kind of the villains and directions he wanted to take him in sequels. And uh, also talked a lot about Batman. So it, it was just a good conversation that drops on post-credit pro- podcast this Friday, which I hope people will check out. That's great. Yeah, and something, you know, I, I, I obviously haven't spoken to him personally, but something I have noticed from a lot of interviews and from your description just then is he seems like somebody that just loves movie making and is genuinely right. enthusiastic about it, and I got a lot of heart for that. Yeah, I love m- filmmakers who love movies because they're, aside from their filmmaking, they're just out there hyping movies. Um, I think every piece of press that Tarantino does, he's hyping somebody else's movie. He's talking about oh, some yeah, obscure man. film. Some random movie that, you know, was promoted to a you know, very niche audience. Like he, filmmakers love talking about other films. And that's I how love you know that they love Tarantino movies. has done so many like presented by Tarantino stuff because right. it's stuff where he sees a movie and just lends his name to it because he loves it. That's so pure. You know right. what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. whether or not you like those movies, that's so like, man, he just loves movies and he wants to use his celebrity to get these random little, it's usually like a weird horror movie or something. <laughs> right. but, yeah, it's something you know, yeah. <laughs> but regardless of your, your opinions about his taste, that's real fandom. Right. I'm pretty sure he went to to bat for Battlefield Earth. <laughs> oh, did he now? Wow. Sure. You got to fact check me, but wow. I'm pretty sure there's some public comments out there. I mean, he, there, he does have a couple movies on his list that don't make sense. I'll, I'll put, <laughs> I mean, I'll, look, I'll, there's I'll, no I'll accounting. You, you can't be a, you know, 100% taste winner. Subjective. It is. Yeah. It is. But he's all, you know, he's presented a lot of movies that whether or not they were like the best movies ever, they were worth watching. So at this right. point, when I see like Tarantino presents and then it's what, you know, I think he started with like hostile and these weird movies, yeah. but I'll definitely watch that movie because it's just something about the idea that someone who is a fan who's also in the industry has passion for something. It's probably worth checking out. Great. Now we're going to end uh, this podcast talking about a non space movie. So, because I think our, the super clusters audience, I think they're into the same things. Uh, people who love space also love movies and they also love uh, Marvel and DC and, you know, all kinds of science fiction. And I do notice that our audience uh, is heavy into Marvel as I am. I'm big into the comic books and it's like also that. Marvel goes to space a lot, a lot. You know? yeah. It is technically space. And I want to shout out, WandaVision, they introduced a uh, sword in that show and sword from Marvel comics used to be sentient world observation, research and defense. And then they, they change it all the time. I don't know what it is in the show, but it's a, a cool, like space sort of oriented shield. They're supposed to be like looking at aliens and other planets and stuff like that. And in the show, 
they're based at Cape Canaveral. And ah, I didn't a lot of that. Cool. Yeah. If you pause, I've gotta, Robin, I've just got to throw out here. Mm. I am completely ignorant about WandaVision. Do not worry about spoiling me. Oh, don't, I don't worry. I, I never I don't, put any spoilers out there. No, no, about Marvel I, stuff. I'm going to yeah. say that particular show. I don't <laughs> care because I'm going to watch it either way. But <laughs> I am I'm going in blind, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm happy to hear that they have Cape Canaveral. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sword, this Shield like organization, is based at. It looks like it's based at Cape Canaveral. And if you pause it, there are Easter eggs. There's the space. SpaceX launch tower. Wow. There's NASA's building. It's kind of scattered throughout the campus. It's very fun, very cool. It looks like Florida Space Coast. I wanted to shout out folks who caught that, who watch WandaVision. Um, I was also a fan of Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is a very cool show. Brandon, what's your outlook? I know there's there's been a pause. There hasn't been a Marvel movie in a year. These movies, typically, like we talked about before, some of these are the billion dollar movies. I believe Black Panther, Captain America, Captain Marvel, all of the Avengers movies, and Iron Man 3 were all billion-dollar movies worldwide. Yeah, I feel like, weren't we supposed to have a Black Widow around now? So, yeah, that was part of my question. Yeah, Brandon, like, they've pushed that, they've pushed Black Widow quite a few times, and I feel like, I don't want to say the internet, but I feel like the public or someone or you in particular, Brandon, pressure Disney to release Black Widow on Disney Plus at the same time uh, as they would in theaters. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I pressured them specifically, oh, okay. but I, you know, okay. I, I think they're doing what they probably think is best given the trajectory of the pandemic. It is a little weird to see them do a hybrid Disney Plus premiere access plus. Uh, so it is theaters. premier access. Yeah. You do have to spend what you'll, is it, thirty, forty dollars? It'll be thirty bucks to buy on Disney Plus premier access. It's a little right. bit odd to see them do that, and then a couple weeks later, a traditional theatrical release for Shang Chi and the Legend mm-hmm. of the Ten Rings. But hey, you know they are more observant and in tune with movie theater capability than I am on a day to day basis. So. They they see something that that we may not, and they think maybe a couple week difference for Shang Chi is going to help. Yeah, you gotta you gotta believe that that kind of company has the sort of evil empire level intelligence. Right. You know, like they know what yeah. they have a time machine. Let's yeah, just put it that not, way. These decisions are not made casually. Right. But, but Robin, starting right now, if you're a Marvel fan, you have around 23 projects, TV shows and movies I mean, in phase four of the Marvel universe. Not if it's, <laughs> I'm going to be inject, injecting all that. I mean, it's good. What are movies guys, right? It's a pastime. It's escapism. And like, I, no matter some of the Marvel movies, I don't think they're great, but I love watching all of them. And I love that they reward people for watching all of them. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I will, I will say this, even the Marvel movies that I was like, nah, whatever. Yeah. Like, I had a good time watching. Right. Them. It was fun. only afterwards right. when I digested them that I was like, ah, I didn't move that much forward. And as I was saying earlier, because it feels like such a multi-year TV show, you're kind of invested beyond the specific movie. You right. just see that movie and you're like, well, that was that episode. There's a little bit of character one, building, you know, a little bit dry. Let me thing, see the next one where they fight the dragon on Mars. You know, like one, yeah, Marvel's one of those things is you also get joy. And this speaks to a lot of the franchises we're talking about during this episode. It's fun to share that with other people. Oh, absolutely. You know, and yeah, even yeah, yeah. outside of the movie theater, for instance, during the pandemic, my girlfriend and I watched all the Marvel movies 
like all of them because she hadn't seen like three quarters of them. And it was really fun experiencing that and like watching her see all the puzzle pieces fall into place. Like we said before, when you plan out these movies like TV shows and where you have a plan that lasts like three, five years, it's so satisfying to well, be invested. The thing is that in that context, your girl is experiencing them all at once, whereas right. we had to wait longer. Right. So, for in some ways, her experience is more pure. It right. kind of no, we earned harder. it. Screw it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm no, it's joking. so true no. though because it's like no, totally. Yeah. Our our anticipation <laughs> is worth more. Oh, uh, get I'll out of here! You, you challenge our you filthy casual. <laughs> I, you know, I, like you said, uh, Jamie, Marvel movies do uh, have space stuff in them. And that's why it allows us to always nerd out about them um, when we need to. Yeah, but, Guardians uh, of the yeah. Galaxy is kind of our uh, get free yeah, card for yeah. any Marvel stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Get out, Joe, free card. Brandon, we really, really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us an excuse to not work and talk about movies instead, which is oh, yeah. always fun. Yeah, like, this is just a hang. Yeah. This did not, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just think that there's so much happening right now with movies and, and sort of turning this new corner. Um, like you guys, I hope it is a positive one. And I'm looking forward to getting back into the theaters. You know, at Supercluster, we've always sort of done popular culture stuff. I think when movies get going again and there's space related movies out, we're going to be doing a lot more and doing a lot more podcasts about movies because clearly this is really fun. And I promise next time Brandon and I will fight over something. I look Uh, forward to it. Thank you guys for having (laughs) me on so much. I really appreciate it. I love space. I love movies. So what better place to come to than super cluster? Oh, Brandon, you're the best hype man in the world, man. You're, you're, (laughs) You're the best. Thank you so much. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope that all of your movie opinions have been sparked, both positive and negative. And, uh, you know, please uh, hit us up with any comments about how you think we've got everything wrong about the (laughs) the fictional universe of space. Thank you again for Brendan for being on the podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. And as always, remember that space is for everyone. And watch A24 movies, too. Goodbye. Everybody. Oh yes, totally. I can actually <laughs> second that, and I'm not. A, I'm not getting any money or anything from them. <laughs> no, 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 it's absolutely true. It is true. Okay, yeah. See here, we haven't we haven't even ended the episode yet. Yes, A24 does have a great stable of sci-fi movies, both taking place on Earth and in space, that will make you think about a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. Visit supercluster.com for great stories about space explorers and spaceships, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye.